This morning, uh, we're going to look, the title of the message is Four Ways to Trust God from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Four Ways to Trust God. Because as we start the new year, we are, I suppose, somewhat rattled with the things that are happening around us. Uh, we, in Australia, obviously, we have so many bushfires and the, and the disaster and the crisis that many parts of our country, because of the, the lack of rain, uh, and also overseas, the current events that the, uh, the Middle East is always on, uh, it's a highly flammable area, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't take much of a spark to, to get it going, and that could blow up any moment as well. Now, as Christians... Historically, we have responded differently in different ways to what is happening around us. Some Christians have chosen to be fully involved in, in the system, uh, both at the levels of power and, and, uh, and bureaucracy and also politically. Others have chosen to just hide and, and uh, move away into, into little communities so they, they are not corrupted, whereas others have basically try as much as they could to be the salt and light in the midst of the darkness that we live in. And unfortunately, I believe that even when we try to be involved in the times and in the society in which we live, which is what Jesus calls us to do, that there is a chasm, a divide even within the Christian community as to what we should do. Remember the words of Jesus that, that the, the salt must be, remain pure, otherwise if it loses its saltiness, it is no longer effective for that which it was called. And so that is a, that is a warning, isn't it? And uh, so as a, as a church, while I remain as your pastor, I, I want to make you aware of what is happening in our world. So... This morning, we're going to look at four ways of trusting God. In the next few weeks, we'll be looking at some of the spiritual ramifications of this whole ideology, which is climate change and what is behind that. So that'll take us uh, into areas which are fairly, there's a lot of disagreements, even within Christian circles, even within my colleagues, even within my own denomination. There's a vast array of views and ideas and probably some will be saying, well, Paul, you shouldn't tread on political toes and all of that. Well, don't worry about it. I'm not scared of that anymore. I will tread on whatever toes need to be tread off. But I won't do it from, a, from that point of view. I will do it from the Word of God and what the Word of God says, just so that we are... May it never be said that the pastor never treated these issues from the pulpit or given us any tools by which to address the current climate in which we live in. And uh, so that's just to tell you about where we're going to be heading in the rest of, in the rest of January. Uh, so this morning I would like to just hone in on, on the, uh, the book of Proverbs into chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 to 12 from Ch- Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. My son, do not forget 
my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and will and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your bats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And this is the word of the Lord. So these four ways that we'll be looking at, uh, obviously there are many more ways that we can trust the Lord, but based upon our text, this is what we'll be concentrating on. And these are not exclusive of each other, but they in fact dovetail together into a life of trust in our God. Now, most of you would know that Solomon wrote and compiled most of these Proverbs early in his reign. This was a time when he followed closely in God's ways and was known, he had the reputation of being the wisest man alive. People came from all around to hear his wisdom. And the book of 1 Kings tells us that he wrote at least 3,000 proverbs. Many of these are found in in the book of Proverbs. So this is a a book of wise sayings, a textbook for teaching people how to live godly lives. Now in the old days they were used to train young men and women with life and leadership skills. So by its very nature, Proverbs are very practical. And it is a guideline for living life. And the passage that we just just read is, is is a good parallel for the Christian life as it is in fact laid out for us in the New Testament as well. So the first heading for us is trust God with my heart. That is the first area. In verses 1 to 4, we need to trust God with our hearts. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. That's verse 1. I, um, I don't know how many of you are watching the cricket at the moment, at the Sydney Test, and uh, in the commentary box, uh, was uh, Brendan McCullum, who was uh, a very, very good player for, for the Kiwis. And he noticed that the, on the first day that the, the body language of the Kiwi players was 
they just weren't with it. They were, they were downcast, they were sort of yawning in the midst of the field and, and they, as they were getting clobbered by the, by the Aussies and uh, that was good to watch. But uh, nevertheless, this, this, this Kiwi, the, uh, Brendan McCullum, who was a champion player, he said, look, they need to pick up their game because they, they, they're, not gonna, they're just not showing much of a fight because he noticed that they weren't playing with a lot of heart. And we see that quite a bit when sometimes players earning quite a lot of money, some of our tennis players who play in the Australian flag, unfortunately they start to lose and they lose heart very quickly. They lose their interest in the game. And so they say they just threw the game away. And there are people watching there, right there and then. There are people watching back home and... You're saying, well, why are we even watching this? They're not even putting up a fight. And the heart is used in the scriptures as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is part of our being where we desire, we deliberate and decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity and also the comprehensive term for a person as a whole, his feelings, his desires, his passions, his thoughts and understanding and will. It is the the centre of a person. That is what the Bible talks about when it talks about the heart. And it is because of this that a commitment to God's standard, God's righteousness is to be written on our hearts. In other words, God's standard has to be a part of who we are at the very centre of our will because that is then going to lead us into life, how we function in life, the decisions that we make. Our obedience to God is to influence every choice that we make and every action that we take. And this is why in the next chapter Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It's a very well-known verse, isn't it? It's a wonderful expression, this. The wellspring of life. Many of us have walked through the bush. I don't know if yesterday you would have done any bushwalking, 45 degrees plus. Very hot day, but I've, uh, I know the experience and, and you know if you've done it, you know what I'm talking about, that you just go bushwalking and uh, there you are, the heat of the day and, uh, and you, you're going down the valley and, you, and you're saying, for sure there has to be some water at the bottom of this, this valley. And sure enough, you get there and there is this cool, clear water. But before you drink it, before you drink it, there's this thought process, isn't there? Safety first. I know I'm thirsty, but safety first. Is it safe to drink or not? Well, of course some uh, knowledge of the area and some, just some geographical idea of where you are 
would help whether to know whether this water is drinkable or not. By that we mean whether this, this, this water course has come from uh, another town further upstream or uh, next to a farm. You know what happens in a farm, right? Uh, it is, and that will, just the fact that it looks clean and, and clear doesn't mean that it is. Obviously, if that water that is there is so close to the source from the spring from where it came, then it's very likely to be pure. That is why the shorter the distance between you and the source, the less polluted it will be. You will know that the water is safe to drink. And because the heart has to do with my devotion, my affection, my passion, it has to be as unpolluted as possible. What are the things that are the streams that are running into your heart? And our heart, because of this, our heart has to have the shortest possible route to God's heart. Because that is the, the ultimate source. That is the ultimate source of life, of pure life. It means that we are seeking more and more ways to love and serve Him better. Our prayers when we pray should not be merely done as a form of, of duties so that we can get more things done. But more and more they should be seeking communion with Him, spending time with the source of life, learning to know God, develop this father-child relationship. That is what it means to guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. But the Christian faith, as we know, is not just a matter of the heart, is it? You know the old saying, just follow your heart, can lead you into a lot of trouble. Obviously there are many cults and many sects and false religions out there that are also after your heart. That is why we also need to trust the Lord with our heads. This is the second point this morning. Trust the Lord with my head in verses 5 to 8. Lean not on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Proverbs tells us. Now God granted Solomon, who wrote these Proverbs, one wish. One, out of all the things, Solomon, that you want, he was a young man, out of everything, what is it that you want? I will give it to you. And Solomon chose wisdom. Very wisely, he chose wisdom. And God was pleased and so God gave him a good head on his shoulders. He started off so, so well. And that is the point, isn't it? His wisdom was God-given. Unfortunately, as he got older, his wisdom got polluted. 
particularly with his wives and so on and so forth, he started to lose his God-given wisdom. Now, my head and your head, that grey matter in between your ears, uh, it's that organ so essential which helps us to think, to think logically, to reason, to make decisions. Unfortunately, many of the decisions that I make might seem logical and might seem even wise, but they could be wrong. I, for example, am trusting that this, this roof, we're all trusting that this roof that is above our heads at the moment will not collapse, that it will remain strong. I trust that the, the builders who put this together, the designers, the engineers, and those who check their work have done a thorough investigation and have followed protocol in Australian standards and, and therefore the rest of us who are here who were not while the thing was being constructed can actually trust the process. There's a whole lot of trust here. I'm called to, in a way, trust the science, the physics behind it. But as we know, and as last year it was in the news so often, wasn't it, a lot of these high-rise towers have started to, a lot of these shoddy workmanship started to show up. Of course, on top of that we have natural disasters that will really test the, the construction of a building. Ultimately, we need to go on with our lives, so we need to exercise a level of trust in so many areas that we just simply take for granted. But you also need to keep your wits about you. And that is where trusting God comes in. Do not lean on your own understanding. So often we hear, I know what I'm doing. Right? You've heard that from your beloved children many times. And uh, in many ways, uh, even before God, our Father, we say that. I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. Because you see, there is, a, there is also a wisdom that does not come down from heaven, but it is of the devil, James 3.15. Because you see, the devil is also into dishing out his own brand of wisdom. Just going to social media, going to the newspapers. That is why James also says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And I hope that this is going to be our, one of the things that we do this year, better than last year and the year before that, that when we lack wisdom, when we need to make a decision, we should ask God. It is there for the asking. Asking. 
Unfortunately, like I said before, that even Christians today are being deceived by following the devil's wisdom, not God's. The wisdom of the Bible, unfortunately, is today being discarded for the wisdom from the East in religions such as Hinduism and and Buddhism. It is being challenged by the environmental movement. Uh, It is being challenged by those with a particular agenda to take away the freedoms that you and I have to gather together as, as a church in an open society and we are slowly seeing that our, our freedoms that we once took for granted are slowly being pushed out of the marketplace. From the car we drive, it's polluting the atmosphere, to the food we eat, you just kill the cow when you're eating a burger, to the things that you teach your kids at home. Now they want to teach your kids at school only. Forget about the stuff that your mum and dad are teaching you or in your church. This is why we need to stand firm on God's wisdom and his truth. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.5? This is nothing new, folks. This is nothing new. 2 Corinthians 10.5, he said, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Listen to that. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to do what? Make it obedient to Christ. It's a pretty clear statement, isn't it? And ever since the Garden of Eden, the temptation for man has been that he wants to be God. He wants to be God, the little G. Or maybe some want to be with a big G, want to take his place. We're seeing that all around, aren't we? From attempts that we think somehow that we're going to be able to control the climate, to redefine marriage, to redefine genders. The only way we can stand against this is with the knowledge of God. True Christians, true believers cannot simply be dragged down with this, this, this wide open path, the wide road that the Bible talks to us about. You cannot simply be dragged down where everybody else is heading. We need to stick to the narrow path. It leads to the narrow door. We need to trust God with our hearts and our heads. Is there anything else we need to trust God with? Well, verses 9 to 10, trust God with my hands. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, it says here. This means that I need to trust God with my abilities and what they produce. The extent to which we genuinely thank God for the blessings he provides is an indicator of our trust in him. And this is, particularly in a, in a country so wealthy like Australia, this is actually one of the areas that is most difficult. Because when we are blessed, there's a tendency for us to either 
trust in ourselves, in our blessings, in our investments, in our wisdom. We trust the job instead of realizing that God is the provider of the job. We trust our health instead of realizing that God is the provider of our health. And we have a tendency to run to God only when things break down and we have problems and disasters strike. The very God that we ignored, you know, having used his phone line for a long time and suddenly, hey, where's that phone again? Paul, I thought you didn't need me. I blessed you with so much that you forgot the giver. No. God sends these things to remind us who the true giver of life is. Like we said last week, he will send things to unsettle us so that we do not become comfortable in Egypt. That we don't become comfortable. He was many times even send us into servitude so that we start longing for the living God and serve only him. These verses obviously also speak about gifts and offerings and I would say that many, many churches when they're doing their budget runs and, and their tithes and gifts and offerings, they quote these verses over and over. So you're probably thinking that if the pastor starts preaching about giving, it's because the church is struggling in its finances. Well, you need to talk to the treasurer about that. But this is actually putting the cart before the horse. I want you to practice giving because it's your way of saying to God that you trust him with everything he has given you. The church will obviously need to pay its bills, but this is not the reason we give. I want you to fully trust God with the first fruits. You're going to trust God with that. Leave the rest to God. Because if you don't trust Him from the beginning, from the very best part, it's very unlikely you can trust Him with the rest. There's a movie, uh, there was a, a classic movie, you probably remember it, some of our young people probably need to watch it. It's called The Chariots of Fire. And uh, not just the soundtrack, but it was a, an iconic type of movie uh, based on true, true events. And it, it, it points to that, to that trust in, in, in God with our hands. The story was about two runners, Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams. Both were competing for Great Britain to receive the gold medal. But both of them had very different motivations. At one point in the movie, Liddell's sister confronts, uh, confronts him, confronts Eric about his missionary career because Eric, since young, he was a Christian, committed Christian in, in Scotland and he was committing himself to be a missionary and his sister was worried that as his Olympic 
career was taking hold and he was getting fame and all of this, his sister said, well, what's happened to your missionary career? And he responded by saying, I believe God made me for China. I do not want to be... I do, he said, I do want to be a missionary, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's that's a great line, isn't it? That's a great line. I believe God made me for China. I do want to be a missionary, but he also made me fast. And I want, and when I run, I'll feel his pleasure. On the other hand, Harold Abrams explained his motivation, his drive very differently to Eric Liddell. And he said, I'm 24 and I have never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is that I'm chasing. When I run, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Can you see the difference? Both champions, but very different motivations, very different attitude to life. One was a God-given attitude who understood his talents and his gifts and his, his dedication to God's glory. The other one was his obvious talent, but he was using that to explain his existence, his reason for being. And that should be... Right there and then you can see the the difference between those who trust God and those who do not. We all have to run. Apostle Paul speaks a lot about that. Run to get the prize. But we don't have to justify our existence by what we do. In fact, the Bible turns it all around and and rather than us having to justify our existence, it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have already been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We are content. There is therefore no condemnation. We don't have to live this neurotic ex- existence. We're in an eternal relationship with the maker of the heavens and the earth. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how. That's how. And that is what makes all the difference in the world. So we don't justify existence by what we do, but we have already been justified because of who we are in Christ. Not what you do, it's who you are. You're a child, you're a daughter of God. Now I can imagine Eric Liddell finding joy as, as a factory worker, a gold medalist, a champion, or as a missionary. It really didn't matter because he was faithful wherever God was going to place him. We also need to be content with what God has given us. In fact, history tells us that Liddell did go to China and within a few years he was imprisoned and died at the age of 43. The whole basis of our relationship with God is trust. 
The only way we can actually become Christians is to trust in what Jesus did on the cross and not what we can do to make ourselves right with God. And the only way to continue to live the Christian life, to continue in this walk, is living out those words from Romans 1.17, that the righteous will live, will continue to live by faith. That's what it means. And lastly, we need to trust God with our lives. Trust in God with my life. Verses 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Did you notice that the word discipleship and discipline are both related to the word disciple. Right? Do you notice that? And, and indeed, this is, in many ways, these are the hardest times to trust in God. When the storms of life and the trials of life come and nothing seems to work. Like Job, we are getting hit again and again and again. Like Paul who prayed for the thorn to be removed and it wasn't because God's grace was sufficient. God prefers to work through weakness to show his glory. Like the missionary Patton who lost his wife and child within a few months of going to the very place where God would have him minister. He was in the very centre of God's will and yet he lost his wife and daughter right there and then. How do you make sense of all of that? When my heart and my head and my hands are all screaming just to let it go, check out. It is in fact in these moments that we discover that he is holding us. In the same way that Jesus said on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. We have to do, I think, the same thing every day. Into his hands commit our spirits. As individuals, we live and breathe within a nation that has been tremendously blessed by God. If you're an Aussie here and you lived here all your life, Maybe you don't even realise how blessed you are. Having many of us here were born in another country, in another place. I can assure you that this is the land of milk and honey over and over and over again. Unfortunately, much is changing already and many are turning away from God. The Christian roots are being pulled but every now and then, you see, if you observe and listen, you're able to see a little shoot sprouting up. For example, the media, in the midst of all the headlines at the moment, the media, interestingly, returns to biblical language when faced with calamity and natural disaster. I've read descriptions of apocalyptic. Where does that come from? And hell breaking loose. Uh, 
you know, they talk, start talking about pray, prayer and, and things like that. Um, now as Christians, we don't need to turn to the media to give us an understanding of what is going on. We need to turn to God's word. And there it describes to us what is going on. And this is what it says. I didn't make this up. This is what the Bible says. If you want to understand the times. Isaiah 45, 7-8 I form light and I create darkness. Listen to this. I bring prosperity and create disaster. Is it man-made? Or is it God? I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Yes, God is concerned for his creation and so should we be. But he's more concerned about what? Righteousness. Yes, it's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? But it should never be out of fashion for Christians. Yes, we desperately need rain. But there is another type of rain that is crucial, the rain of righteousness that Isaiah talks about. He is the Lord. He is the source. He creates them both. Let's pray for our nation of Australia. Let's pray that this nation of Australia will turn back to God and his word. That we pray for even those Christians who have been brought up with Christian roots in Christian homes, that they will return to God's word. That many of our leaders will not be shy, will not be shying away from declaring God's word. Doesn't matter the consequences. So you're going to lose 90% of your members. So be it. Speak the truth. Let's pray that this nation will turn back to God and his word. And as we pray, may we also turn to his word diligently. Seek wisdom to show our dependence and trust in God in every area of our lives. And may God bless us. Amen.